Be turning in the Bibles to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, we'll begin in verse 33. It is good to see all of you in church today. It's good to see this number. Uh, it's been a long time since we had this many people in the building. It's been a hard year. Over a year ago, we had to make some decisions we didn't want to make, we were uncomfortable to make. I had to make two or three other decisions as we went on through the year. It's been a hard year for most of you. Some of you didn't have a hard year. You had a horrible year. Some of you made decisions you should never have to make concerning the care of loved ones and so forth. It's been a long year, and I'm thrilled that we can gather together like this again in God's house. And I'm glad that you came. And God will bless us for being here, and God will honor us for being here. And I'm just going to pray that God will protect us from here on out, and that God will continue this process of healing our land. And let's pray for that effect. For God to heal our hearts, God to heal our land. Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 33, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 33. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of, vinegar, of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. And said, others said, Leave him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There are also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the less and of Joseph and Salome. And who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, Summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. Now when the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that I might come and anoint him. 
Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed with long white robes sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you that as we look into the pages of Scripture, these words are true. We thank you for the sacrifice Jesus paid on the cross. May we never take that for granted. May we always strive to appreciate the great cost for our salvation. Father, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We thank you that that changes everything. Now we ask that this message would find its place in our hearts, meet us at our greatest point of need with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour was high noon, normally the brightest time of the day. From the sixth hour, high noon, till three o'clock, darkness covered the land. Jesus had been on the cross for quite some time. Disciples had all fled. John had taken Mary home. Who's left? Who's left to give praise and worship to Jesus? They're all gone, those that had followed him so closely. What Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 40, as he came into Jerusalem just a week earlier, if these stones, if these people keep silent, these stones would cry out. In this passage of Scripture, we realize there was someone left to praise Jesus. His disciples had fled. Those who followed him, the crowds were all gone. John had taken his mother home. But there were some people left to praise Jesus. And they were the most unlikely people that we could have ever imagined. The first one was a soldier, one of the least likely. In verse 39, it says just very plainly, the centurion who stood opposite him, saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. One of the least likely. We read in the scriptures, if you look through all of the accounts of the crucifixion of Christ, the soldiers were the first ones to mock Jesus. They mocked Jesus at the trial. They mocked Jesus at the foot of the cross. They gambled for his clothes, the last possessions that he had. They gambled for his coat. The least likely guy, hardened, mean, rough, ugly man, the centurion. And this centurion looked up and said, this man is the son of God. He cried out. Everybody had left. All the tongues were silent. But the centurion, the soldier, cried out. Jesus reached even this man. 
What did, what did he see? How did he reach him? He saw how Jesus died. Jesus cried out with a loud voice twice. And before he breathed his last, he cried out with a loud voice. You see, crucifixion doesn't happen that way. This man has seen a lot of men die. It wasn't the fact that he saw a man die. This was his job. He saw it all the time. But crucifixion always killed the victims by sheer exhaustion. By the time they breathed their last breath, they could barely take a breath. They couldn't even whisper. Couldn't even whisper. And Jesus, with a loud voice, says, it is finished, according to the book of John. With a loud voice, he cried out, and he breathed his last. King James says he gave up the spirit. You see, here's a man who saw he didn't die from exhaustion. He didn't die. We didn't kill him on the cross. Jesus willingly breathed his last. Here's a man that could die at will. When he was helpless on the cross, there was nothing he could do to hasten his death. Jesus could die when he wanted to. And when he still had strength in his body and cried out with a loud voice, he said, it is finished, done, breathed his last, reached this soldier's heart. In the Hebrew and in the Aramaic, in the ancient language, Jesus only uttered one word. It is translated, it is finished. But the one word he uttered could have just been, he cried out with a loud voice, finished, done. But if you look at the original word, it gets even better. Tetelestai. Tetelestai. What does that mean? It means done, accomplished. But it means more than that. You know when this word was used? This word was used after the sacrifice. The priest would render the sacrifice complete, and he would say, sacrifice finished. That's the word Jesus used. Sacrifice finished. Oh, but it gets even better. Archaeologists found uh, some papyrus documents down in Egypt. And this word was on those documents. You know what they were? They were tax receipts. They were tax bills. And you know what was written at the bottom? Tetelestai. Paid in full. That's what Jesus said right before he died. Paid in full. What's paid in full? The penalty for our sin. Paid in full. So when we realize Jesus cried with a loud voice, finished, it reached the heart of this soldier. The teachings of Christ didn't reach him. The miracles of Christ didn't reach him. The kindness and compassion of Christ didn't reach his heart. But the cross of Christ reached his heart. And the apostle Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians, the preaching of the cross is foolishness of those that perish but to us who are saved is the power of God. The preaching of the cross is the power of God, and that still reaches souls today. From the very start, from the very start, the cross reached 
a hardened heart of a soldier. Jesus had said earlier, John chapter 12, verse 32, John records, he said, And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. We think about it being something that would happen through the ongoing years as Jesus is lifted up and people come to be saved. From the very minute he was lifted up, when he breathed his last, there's a man standing at the cross. He said, this man was the son of God. The minute he breathed his last and gave up his spirit and willingly paid the price, somebody got saved. That's the power of the cross. And that's why we continue to preach the cross. There's a second man who was reached. A rich man. Verse 42, when the evening had come because it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man. Now, what did Jesus say about wealthy men? Because some wealthy men had turned him away. He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy man to enter into the kingdom of God because a wealthy man might see that he doesn't need anything. And they said, well, who can be saved? And he said this, watch it. With men, things are impossible, but with God, nothing's impossible. So it wasn't that wealthy men couldn't be saved. He just said it'd be difficult. It'd be less likely. So here's a hardened soldier, one of the least likely persons to be reached with the gospel, and here's a wealthy man. Both of them very unlikely to come to Jesus. But here is Joseph of Arimathea. We do a little bit of reading. We realize that he was a secret follower of Jesus, a secret follower of Christ. And it says, after the cross, he took courage. He went in boldly to Pilate. The cross gave him courage. He secretly followed Christ with the teachings. He secretly followed Christ when he saw the miracles. And he kept his devotion to Christ a secret. But when he saw the cross, he came forward and with courage openly served Christ to give him some glory. He risked it all. He risked it all. What did he risk? He risked facing Pilate. Now, Pilate was a powerful man. Pilate, if it, just, if it struck him wrong that he came in and asked for this, could have had him thrown in jail. Pilate was a man who you didn't want to make mad or get on his, his bad side. But he went in boldly, and he said he craved, he pleaded for the body of Jesus. Now, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Obviously, he didn't cast a vote to crucify Jesus. So it wasn't a unanimous vote. And when he came forward to publicly do for Jesus what should have been done with the burial, he lost his standing with the Sanhedrin. He lost his standing in the Jewish community. And he probably lost whatever job he had, whatever trade or whatever business he had. He lost it all. He lost it all. He risked it all. What if he didn't do that? What if he hadn't have done that? What if he decided, it's just, I just got too much to lose. I'm not going to do this. What would have happened? Well, let me tell you what would have happened. 
Romans had a nasty habit, a nasty practice of publicly displaying crucifixion victims for days. Now, we read in the scriptures where since it was the Sabbath day and a high day coming up, the Passover, that the Jewish authorities said, we need to take the body down, and Pilate gave them permission to take the bodies down off the cross because they shouldn't have been left up there for the high day. But now, it didn't guarantee what he would have done with it. You know why Golgotha is called a place of the skull? Well, the hill itself, the, the cliff, looks like a skull, but scholars believe that probably what happened is the bodies, when they were taken down from the cross, were just left at the foot of the cross. And the vultures and the wild dogs would come. It was ugly. And it was called the place of the skull probably because there were skulls littering the top of that hill. If that hadn't happened, the Jews had a common practice that criminals couldn't be buried in the burial spots because they were defiled. So what would they do with the body? they would throw them in the trash dump outside of town. Jesus talked about that, and he says the fire never goes out. They had thrown the body of Jesus on a fire in the trash dump. That's what would have happened if Joseph of Arimathea had not been reached with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But his action provides the best possible burial place to provide infallible proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How is that? Well, it was a cave carved into a rock. One way in, one way out. And a big stone was rolled over the only way in there. Of course, we read back in the book of Matthew what else happened. The Jewish leaders went to Pilate and said, we can't afford for them to come steal the body. We have to set Give us a guard. And he said, you have your guard. I'll give you everything you want. He said, make it as sure as you know how. What he said, that they spared no effort to secure the tomb. They had a guard. They sealed the tomb. What that meant is they put a seal of wax on that stone. You move the stone under the penalty of death because that was a Roman seal. As much as humanly possible, Jesus was sealed in the tomb. It was humanly impossible to stage a hoax. All this because Joseph of Arimathea stepped forward, risked it all, paid the cost of taking the body of Jesus down, and he and a man named Nicodemus lovingly wrapped the body of Jesus. But you see, all of this, and Joseph of Arimathea wouldn't have known this, Maybe, but this fulfills a scripture. In Isaiah chapter 53, two very opposite conditions that it would seem that there's no way that these things could be accomplished. Well, in human effort, no. In coincidence, no. It would never happen. But look at Isaiah chapter 53. We'll begin in verse 4, so we'll know who we're talking about. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. 
In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look in verse 9 now. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. They made his grave with the wicked. Who'd they crucify him with? Two thieves. Where was he buried? In a rich man's grave. That was predicted 700 years before the crucifixion. And God brought it to pass exactly like he had predicted. Only God can do that. Two very opposite conditions of the death of Jesus. He made his grave with the wicked, but also with the rich. How's that going to happen? God knows. And God knew it 700 years before. You see, a rich man. A new name comes to our mind right here at the last. But oh, what a message in Joseph Arimathea. But then we have to come to the morning of the resurrection. That's what we celebrate. And here's some people who we've seen off and on through the ministry of Christ they weren't in the inner circle. Those guys ran away. Those guys ran away and only one of them came to the cross and that was John. But now early in the morning, we read this. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices. They might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They brought with them a collection of spices. These were spices and ointments and oils that were used to prepare bodies for burial. Because the sun was going down on the eve of the high day, Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus didn't have time to do everything that needed to be done. So these women came with ointments and spices to go, it was the traditional burial ointments that were put on bodies. They came with those. What were they? Don't know. I don't know exactly what they were. So I don't know exactly what they brought. But I do know what they left behind. They may have come bringing a sack full of spices that we don't know about. Do you know what they left behind? They left behind a sack full of excuses. And some of these excuses are familiar. This is what they didn't say. It's just way too early for us to get ready and go. It was, it was dawn. It was before the sun came up. It was right when the sun was, was coming up. It was dawn. They could have said, it's way too early to get up and go. We're tired. We've had a long weekend, and they had a long weekend. It had been a horrible weekend. They were worn out. And yet we don't hear one of them saying, well, I'm not going now. There's no way I can be ready and go and get there at that time. Have we ever said that? It's too far 
from here and it'll take too long. We're not going because it'll take too long today and there's other things going on today and since it'll take just too long, we're just not going to go. You know what else they didn't say? These spices are way too expensive. They're too expensive. Uh-uh. No way. I can't afford to do this for Jesus. I cannot afford it. I'm just not going to. Fourthly, they're too much trouble to carry. We got to walk all the way from here to there and carry this. And watch this. And where are the men? There's nobody to help us. I'm done. I'm done. If I've got to do it all by myself, I'm done. Nobody to help me. I'm quitting. Because nobody will help me, and I'm just tired of carrying this load. Fifthly, somebody just might criticize me for being too religious. I mean, I'm going to the tomb of Jesus Christ. Everybody knows what he did and who he was. They they may call me a Jesus freak or something. They didn't say that. They didn't say that. Now, These women cast aside all excuses. Now, that means a lot today. But now, look closely at when they cast aside the excuses. Look closely. They did this for Jesus. In the passage of Scripture that we read in chapter 15, verse 37 and 30, they watched him die. They saw him die. He was dead. They saw that he was dead. Secondly, they saw him buried. In verse 47, it says, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. They saw him buried. Not only did they saw him buried, they saw that they rolled a big stone over there because you know what they were asking on the way to the tomb? Who will roll away the stone? They knew the stone was in the way, but that didn't stop them. That's one other excuse. Ah, forget it. There's a stone there. We won't go. They knew it was there. They watched him die, and they watched him buried. Now, They did their best, cast aside all excuses, paid whatever cost it took to serve a friend. Watch this. Listen close. To serve a friend that was dead and gone and buried as far as they knew. They knew him to be dead and buried, but they still did this for him. How much more should we be willing to serve a Savior who's alive and coming again? Did you catch what happened here? They knew him to be dead and gone. And sometimes we use pathetic excuses and fail to serve a Savior that we claim to be alive and coming again. Shame on us. But you see... Something changed. They came in gloom and they left in gladness. One of the other passages of Scripture, I believe it's in Matthew, said they left rejoicing. Now it says they trembled. 
said they were amazed, said they were afraid, but it also says they were, they were, um, they were just ecstatic. They were rejoicing, and they couldn't wait to tell somebody that Jesus was alive. What made the difference? The resurrection. They came expecting death, and they left knowing that Jesus was alive, and it made all the difference in the world. That's what we celebrate today. The gospel is wrapped up in this one easy statement. Jesus Christ came and died for sinners, was buried, but lives again to save sinners. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. But thank God there is a resurrection. And this resurrection makes it possible for you to have hope and peace for all eternity. Do you have that? As a prayer for an invitational hymn, where has this past the scripture hit us where has it hit us are, are these excuses too familiar or maybe we have a few more to throw in that I didn't cover maybe it's time to just say Lord I, I'm sorry help me to serve you like I would serve a living Savior who's alive and coming again when we really think about it and really realize it will make a difference it'll make a difference but let us leave here rejoicing. Life and hope and peace, are, are, they're possible because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we have a joy to share with that world out there as we stand and sing. Number 99. Bit.